Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, if we could please have a moment of silence, a remembrance of the greatest, one of the greatest Latinos to compete in WWE, the late and great Eddie Guerrero. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's the one, the only, Beat Train Brian Rails. On your hot night seven, nope. I'm right here. I'm right here on Wrestle Radio Network. How about them apples? All right. Let's get this party started. A little something, something. If you would, Maestro, please. It's obvious to me that all you American wrestling fans, coast to coast, you don't respect me. Well, the fact is, I don't respect you. You don't deserve it. So from here on in, the American wrestling fans, coast to coast, can kick my Oh, John Michaels, ladies and gentlemen, will join us last night. Let's get one thing perfectly straight. You can come out here and say whatever you want about me. Everyone does. And you don't have to explain to me or the World Wrestling Federation that you would never give up the WWF title. Because no one knows better than me or the WWF that it takes a handwritten note from the Lord Almighty to get that belt from you. John Michaels is injured. But Brett, what you don't understand is just because I come out here and choose to live my life openly and freely instead of putting on a facade like you does not make you a better man, Brett. I am well aware of my faults. I can admit them up and down the line. As far as Steve Austin is concerned, Brett, I was there last night. He didn't give up. Alright? Now, I'm no fan of Steve Austin, but he passed out, and even you have to admit, somewhere in there, there's got to be some of the old hitman left. Even you've got to admit that he is one tough SOB. I have tried and tried and tried to take the high road. Now, I am, I am in no shape to wrestle. And I know, I know, you're 
tougher than me, blah, 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 the whole thing. I admit that. That's fine. I don't have to be number one, Brett. I don't obsess like you do. I do this because I like it. You do it because in your mind, Mark Man, you really think all of this is yours. Now, what you need to understand is that every time they reach into their pocket and pay money, Hang on a second, folks. Technical difficulties. Uh-oh. You know me, Brett. I'm not real good with authority. By the way, how'd you know I was in that girly magazine? You couldn't help. You couldn't help yourself, could you? You had to flip through the pages just a little bit. Well, remember, Shawn Michaels has already been threatened tonight by Owen Hart in the British Bulldogs. 
exploits Bret Hart's family because he allows it. Now, and the reason he allows it is very simple. For Bret Hart's own financial gain. If Bret can make a buck, he'd sell his mother. That's the truth. Now, wow. Bret Hart also has an obsession with Shawn Michaels and the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Last year, I won the World Wrestling Federation Championship fair and square. Right about that. But I want to digress to six years ago when Shawn Michaels started his singles career and became the Intercontinental Champion. That's when Bret Hart also became the World Wrestling Federation Champion. I ran support to him. I told everybody, including himself and his family, that I supported him. I was second fiddle to Bret Hart for years here, and I did it with a smile on my face because that's what a man does when it comes to business. But then, when it came for Bret Hart to return the favor, oh yeah, he did it, but he did it kicking and screaming every inch of the way. And then, and then Bret Hart takes time off. He takes time off, he says, because he needs rest. What he did was take time off to see if Shawn Michaels and the World Wrestling Federation would fall flat on their face without him. Well, guess what? We didn't fall face flat anywhere. As a matter of fact, the World Wrestling Federation did the best business it has done in six years. You're the boss. Am I right or wrong? You're right. Thank you very much. Now, but Bret Hart, he sat, he sat in Calgary and passed judgment on Shawn Michaels. And he told everybody about my faults. And believe me, folks, I have got a truckload of faults. But I have never, ever lied about that to any one of you. <laughs> he talked about my dancing. How could the fans of World Wrestling Federation cheer a wrestler who dances, who has long hair, who pierces his navel, who has tattoos? How could the fans of World Wrestling Federation support something like that. Well, it's real simple. They like it, you idiot. But the whole time, I don't say anything. I go on doing my job. And Bret Hart, while he's at home, talks about his loyalty to his WWF fans. And that's ultimately what made him return to the World Wrestling Federation. Well, that is a load of horse shit. The reason... Bret Hart returned the World Wrestling Federation after using a rival organization against this man and the company that made him what he was. He stabbed the World Wrestling Federation in the back. Why? For his financial gain. Bret Hart did not come back to the World Wrestling Federation for his fans. He came back for the almighty dollar. Now, what about me? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you about me. I got more people throwing money at me than you could ever possibly imagine. I am the hottest free agent in this business today. Every time I take a day off, every time I get hurt, my 
phone is ringing off the hook. But you know what? I'm not in it for the money because I got money. I do it because I think that is one hell of a man and he deserves to have somebody work his ass off for him. And I'm that guy. Before Prohibition and Rye Whiskey. <laughs> Before Prohibition. Imagine that. After a Shawn Michaels promo. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the most loyal down-to-earth, and I, did I say loyal? Yes, loyal, repeat, loyal, the man, want a slice? Sure, Pizza Simpson. <laughs> What's up, Brian? I, <laughs> I just find it funny that the advertisement that played right after Shawn Michaels was speaking. Prohibition, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, the timing of that is really, 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 really funny. Because I'm like, some of the stuff that he said, well, we're not going to dive into it just yet. We'll save it for later, folks. But we're going to zip right through the, as I like to call this, it's like a hurry-up offense now with uh, SmackDown and also Raw. Right? <laughs> just trying to hurry up and get Survivor Series. Are you kidding me? New York's going to probably wonder, yay, we're happy to see an event, but why is the why is the rush? Because they don't have very many limited talents. Folks, right out the gate, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I guiltily did not watch AEW Rampage. I unfortunately caught the tail end of what seems like a never-ending rent cycle in your washer. Yes, I'm referring to Friday Night SmackDown. Okay? Okay. Like... Let's let's be real, shall we? This is not <clears throat> as I flip through this page and try and find what the hell I wrote. Okay, Halloween Havoc, Dynamite, SmackDown, here you are. Okay, so that's not the SmackDown I want. There's AEW Dynamite. <laughs> oh, here's SmackDown, folks. So Roman Reigns, as per usual. There's a recap of last week's SmackDown with the Usos and New Day, which shows a beatdown of Kofi Kingston, who is injured or is taking time off TV. Don't care. Um, we talked about – oh, wait. No, that's not it. Wait. Let me see if I can fast forward to another – ah, here we are. So Sonya Deville's in the ring. She's announced the Women's Survivor Series team that they just decided to recap – I mean, not recap, but – to assemble like the Avengers, but in a really trodden down used way, like thrift store way. Like here's Shotzi Blackheart. No, oh, by the way, we're going to have Shotzi, Sasha, Natalia, Shayna. You're going to have them as a team. Wow. Um, <laughs> all I can tell you is there's chaos in the ring. Shonya is trying to get ordered. There's no such thing. It became a six woman tag. Go figure. I'm glad there's less talking. Because Shotzi Blackheart, her new personality, whatever she can fit, whatever personality, as long as she's not pooping and showing it for money, that's great. Sorry, I had to throw it in there, folks, because as an ad, uh, as an added feature to this review, um, all hell breaks loose because Naomi had to come out, as per usual. Thankfully, there was no, but you didn't do this part because fans are kind of getting sick of the authority type thing and to be honest with you, Sonya Deville does not fit that role very well. Uh, ends up being that, oh yeah, Aaliyah. Aaliyah is a part of the, was a part of the Survivor Series team until Sonya Deville 
saw that Naomi assisted her in the match. Hit, uh, Natalia and Aaliyah hit a roll-up pin, one, two, three. That was a shocker there because she never won anything in NXT, but I digress. Um, so then Sami Zayn was shown backstage. Jeff Hardy scared the crap out of him, which was pretty funny. Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman is seen she's interviewed or they were both interviewed by Kayla because Kayla loves to interview people apparently. What's her job? Uh Rick Boogs and Nakamura versus Los Lotharios. I don't I, I don't know why they're starting these one of Los Lotharios to look strong. Why? They both sucked eggs when they were in NXT. Don't know why you're giving them props all of a sudden on the main roster, but okay, cool. You need a heel team because without Andrade, that's the kind of reason, right? Um, all right, so Sami Zayn went into Adam Pearce and oh, you know, talked to him and said, I didn't appreciate Jeff Hardy was acting the way he did. Maybe he should be off the uh, Survivor Series team. So Adam Pierce made a match between Jeff Hardy and Sami Zayn. Yawn. Okay. Uh, Charlotte Flair then, you know, was talking about how Becky's an undeserving champion, blah, blah, blah. Tony Storm came out and challenged. I don't know if they're teasing it for Survivor Series because it's supposed to be champion versus champion, a team of women and team of men. All right, moving forward. Jeff Hardy versus Sami Zayn. We all knew it was a very good back and forth. This match was actually surprisingly decent. Okay, um, a lot of back and forth action. Jeff hit a lot of his finishes. Sammy kicked out at two, and then Sammy got caught with his feet on the ropes, and then that opened the door for Jeff Hardy. Hit a twist of fate, and then a swanton one, two, three. And then let's see here. Jeff, loser would get eliminated from the Survivor Series team, and then Sammy Zayn, poor thing, saw his fate unravel. Unfortunately for him, he got X'd out of the, off the Survivor Series team, which is big shocker there. Now, speaking of the main event, did I catch the main event? No, to be honest with you, and didn't care because it was Roman Reigns versus Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods and Roman can both work, so I'm going to just hop on the result train here. Sorry, folks. I, I normally take notes on this shit, but I was less enthralled with what WWE was doing. It wasn't a bad show. It's just my attention was elsewhere during this whole thing. My apologies again. But, oh, yeah, Hit Row. Hit Row got into uh, not a rap battle, but somehow they're linked up now with Jinder Mahal and Shanky, which really frightens me because they had Jinder Mahal or Shanky uh, spitting in his native tongue. That's not frightening. It's frightening that they're they're linking them with those two. Why? Okay, we know what's the problem. Whatever. Um, so yeah, um, aside before I read the result for the main event, if Xavier Woods was to win, Roman Reigns was to bend the knee. I don't think that occurred because Kofi's freaking injured, so, so they say, or if he's legit injured, cool, whatever. They showed a raw recap of what they look forward to on the Survivor Series team. So you got Big E, Kevin Owens, Seth Fang. Well, it was my entire plan. By the way, Kevin and I planned this whole thing out, so are they turning KO heel? I don't care. Um, so, <clears throat> all right. So, before I get the results, 
like I said, we remembered Eddie at the beginning of the episode, and also, let's see here, Roman Reigns. They basically, so, okay, at the end of this, Roman Reigns ended up being the head of the table still, no bend of knee, and basically beat down Xavier Woods with the bloodline. So, that's SmackDown, folks. If you'd like to catch a further review, you can always watch or stream it on WWE Network or on uh, Peacock for $5.99 a month. Oh, and two, if you don't want to watch the review on there, you can always go to different various websites. Not going to be lined today. So that's that, partner. My bad for rambling and rambling. Okay, let's get to the AEW results for this week. And this was the go-home Dynamite show before the all-out pay-per-view. And they did a really shitty job this week at at really hammering anything home and really making you want to see this this (coughs) pay-per-view. So, uh, (coughs) excuse me. Excuse me. So uh, first up, we got American Dragon taking out Rocky Mer- Rocky Romero in a cold match for no reason, other than just to show that the New Japan deal, it, the New Japan deal, is uh, coming through with uh, Okada being involved, announced being involved with the company. So Rocky Romero takes on American Dragon in a cold match, and this was a very, very 2004-style match. You can very much tell that these guys are very, very familiar with each other. Both are from the, the American New Japan Dojo, and this ends up, this ends up with uh, American Dragon picking up a win over Rocky in a good match with, that saw that saw a dragon picking up the win with like a tricky looking tequila sunrise variation, which I enjoyed. Did you did you catch dynamite this week? No, I did not, and I'm not going to sit here and lie to the fan, or fans, folks. I, I uh, okay. Yeah, I'll take over. Uh, so uh, next up, um, next up, we got a. Uh, Thank God this happened. The we 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 thought we were going to get an inner circle. We thought we were going to get an inner circle promo, but that was stopped by the American Top Team jumping uh, the inner circle before they could make it to the ring. And this inner circle took a nice beat down, and Dan Lambert put Chris Jericho through a table, which I found to be pretty fucking funny. This is a dead feud that's really going nowhere, and. They're trying to hot shot it by sprinkling, sprinkling, sprinkling in the former UFC champions, and I don't think it's really doing much for either them or the AEW company. So uh, next up, we got the acclaimed uh, taking on um, taking on Jungle Boy, uh, the uh, one rapping the one rapping doofus. He he said some nice uh, little bars about Jungle Boy. But that's all the really the acclaimed have because they're pretty pretty boring and basic themselves. So besides the rapping, that was the only heat in this match. Jungle Boy picked up the win. Jungle Boy picked up the win after um, catching the one of the doofuses in a in a snare trap. Then we got the elite in a promo. I'm sorry, I skipped a part. Bobby Fish um, Bobby Fish attacked Jungle Boy after the match. 
then we got an elite promo, and there was uh, Adam Cole was saying that um, Bobby Fish is his. Uh, you know, he paid Bobby Fish to beat up Adam uh, to beat Jungle Boy up. So whatever to that. Next segment we got we got uh, CM Punk and Eddie Kingston going over their feud and why they hate each other. This is gonna this is excellent, and I really hope that this isn't just a one and done thing because Eddie Kingston's really starting to take off, and CM Punk like 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 we've said he's an excellent he's an excellent promo. And I think that when both of them are inspired, Punk and Kingston, they're gonna bring they're gonna bring a lot out of each other. And I think that Punk is gonna bring Eddie up to the next level, or at least at least at least get a get, get a uh, get a main event caliber match out of him because God knows Eddie Eddie deserves it. Next up, we got Wheeler Yuta taking on Wardlow, who I just think sucks. So I'm just gonna pass. I'm we're just gonna blaze <laughs> over that. Wardlow sucks, and he looks. He looks like shit, and I think he's going to kill somebody because he's just not there yet. After the match, Matt Hardy jumped Orange Cassidy and just proving and showing to you that this uh, Orange Cassidy, um, uh, this Orange Cassidy Matt Hardy feud is still is still going and just needs to die already because it's never really started. So uh, next we got Eddie Kingston and Punk getting into a pull apart in the parking lot. I really like that. I really, really, really like that. That shows a lot of fire and a lot of heat, and guys need to be pulled away from each other in the parking lot. That that's that's awesome. That's that's real. You know, I think that's what this company needs right now because um, it's really it's really silly and just caters to it, it. Really caters to a small a small nerdy demographic, and I think I think Kingston and Punk is going to give that. Give that, give that, give that, give that company the 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 feud it needs to be taken seriously. I feel. I really, really hope that this doesn't end over. Uh, this doesn't end in one match. Next up, we got Lee Moriarty and Matt Seidel taking on um, Dante Martin and Leo Rush, and this was fucking awesome. This was very, very good with Lee Moriarty and. Um, Lee Moriarty and Dante Martin really put getting some good shit in. But my thing with Dante Martin is I don't know if you've noticed this partner, but Dante, he could do all the best flips in the world, but he always looks quite lost and he looks very very scared out there. I I I don't know if you picked that up, but I just feel like he just looks like a deer in the headlights until he's given the signal signal to start doing flips. But otherwise. Otherwise, uh, he's uh, Dante Martin is showing some great stuff, and just the way he, the way he flies in the ring is just is really something. He looks like he's almost floating in air, like it's just beautiful, man. So um, in in the uh, in the uh, in the main in the act, in the last match of the night, this wasn't your main event. Dax Harwood was taking on Pac. In just a fantastic match with two fucking guys who were just, in my opinion, two of the most underrated wrestlers in AEW, and these guys beat the dog shit out of each other. Pac picks up the win after locking on the nasty, nasty, nasty uh, rings of Saturn on Dax's uh, injured shoulder. But um, this ends up with with Malachi Black and Andrade making a making a um, 
uh, uh, joining in on the beatdown after the match. So after during this uh, during the melee. Um, Lucha Brothers and Cody end up clearing the ring. So this was a big brawl. It looked kind of like a mess where it's just a bunch of guys just thrown out there because um, I really don't want to see Cody involved in this. But whatever, it was pretty. It was pretty all right. And uh, in your in your last segment, in your main event segment, was the it was the um, was the contract signing between Omega and Page, and just like every. Every every contra, a contract signing, my friend, you you didn't really see anything new here. Kenny Omega came out and tried to be the bad guy and be the tough guy, or not the tough guy. I'm sorry, the top guy that he pretends he he is. But it just doesn't feel natural. It just feels like he just watched a bunch of, like, anime cartoons to see how a bad guy is, and that's how he's – that's what he's emulating. And Adam Page is – Adam Page has come a long way, and I do think that I, – I would like to see him as the champion, but I, I just wish that there was a little bit more out of Kenny Omega that made me just – where I got the heat where I want to see him get beat up instead of just wanting to skip his match sometimes. So this ends, this ends with, uh, this ends with uh, the cameraman jumping, the cameraman jumping Adam Page who un- unmasked to, to unveil himself as a, uh, as uh, what's the fuck is, what is his name? Um, Cyrus. You know, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Cyrus the Vi- yeah, Cyrus the virus makes his return to to uh, Kenny Omega's side, so they ended up bloodying Adam Page to finish to finish this segment. I, I really felt like this really did not do a good job at hammering home. You know, this was not a good this was not a good go home show with mostly with most stuff just feeling like it was just centered around it was it just felt like it was just centered around the main event and the world title match and rampage did not do anything to help to to, to rampage was their last uh shot before um before the pay-per-view and as i get into it i'm gonna my point will be made so uh rampage this week bobby fish took on jungle boy and i don't understand why it was Bobby Fish. I personally think it maybe should have been one of the guys in the match. Maybe it should have been Jungle Boy and Nick Jackson so they could have a match together to make me want to watch the pay-per-view that they're selling on Saturday. Maybe maybe that's just me, you know. So Bobby Fish and Jungle Boy had a match, and... Um, there was a huge run-in from the elite and Christian Cage and Lucha Boy, uh, Lucha Boy, Lucha Soros clear the ring. Next we got a next we got a promo package from Miro and American Dragon. I think that's going to be good, but with them not having any contact, it just kind of feels kind of flat. Maybe that's me. I don't know. Um. Jay Jay Cargill beat Santana Garrett, and uh, that's too bad because Santana's been around a long time, and she's pretty great, and I think she could be used in a more prominent role, but I just feel happy that anybody is working and getting paid, so good for, good for, good for Santana, but uh, after the match, 
Jay Cargill and Red Velvet had a nice pull apart. Speaking of Darte Martin, Darte Martin took on a, 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 a Davari, not Sean Davari, but uh, Davari's brother, Arar. I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to offend him. Thank you. Yes, Dante Martin picks up the win over Davari, who was just recently released by WWE in the uh, failed 205 Cruiserweight um, debacle. Good to see him on TV. Uh, thank you for that, my friend. And in the main event, you would think that it would be <laughs> you would think that AEW would be uh, maybe doing something to uh, you know sell their big pay-per-view on Saturday, but no, Rampage closed with Orange Cassidy losing to Matt Hardy in a in a lumberjack match. And wouldn't you just want to maybe get Eddie Kingston on the show or maybe get, like, the Bucks on the show or just something? Just all this fucking pay-per-view? <laughs> I don't God, know, man. Dude. Like... So that was AEW this week, and the matches were good, but I just think they just did a bad job at, like, hyping this show. Wow, the one week that I missed and find, you know what, just listening, I will, I will do you a solid. I will torture myself and watch what you just said. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't hype a pay-per-view properly, this is the reason why Booker T went off on you, Mr. Khan, because you're so busy going to social media, hyping up your ratings versus quality products. This is also the reason why Eric Bischoff went off on you again, because neither NXT, neither AEW has an identity. You have a pay-per-view coming up called Full Gear. You would think you would tease matches with us, don't give us, you like, Show us, you know, the goods, but pull back just a little. Because hyping up your pay-per-view would have made more sense rather than giving us nothing to focus on the pay-per-view. And it's just like, that's mind-boggling. You guys were doing great. AEW was doing fantastic. Now, now I will say, I, I will say that the Eddie Kingston, Sam Punk thing, obviously those two guys are just the way those guys speak to each other and speak and carry themselves, they they make they make that match. The main event, Adam Page and Kenny Omega match, does have a great story and a long it's a long time solo, you know, singles match for the you know, for the top prize and that definitely is going to be good. But the rest of the show is flat in my opinion. And that's bad, dude, before you go to your – that's like that's supposed to be your take-home show before the pay-per-view. So fans who are just going to make excuses out the ass for AEW and the way they handled, it's like, okay, they can still recover because they had two great matches. But the problem is if my central focus is on what you just said, Omega and Page is a long-winded match, a long-standing solo story to tell, and then you have Kingston and Punk – those are two good things, but at the same time, when again hyping a pay-per-view, give us the give us the teasers, but don't give us everything, and then leave us to want to go see your shit on pay-per-view. Now it's become one big crock of shit because 
How how are your fans supposed to react to what you just showed us on Rampage or showed uh, my partner in crime, I should say? How are you supposed to show him and others, this is what we're going to do uh, full gear, but we're not going to show you everything? Again, I'm going to reiterate this. You know, even as crap ass as WWE is right now, at least they tease you and give you the, some of the goods, but they don't give you everything. That's what you're supposed to do. AEW just, they, they're like a fucking, how do I put this? They do great for a little bit, and then they get distracted, like me, when I see something shiny. Ooh, shiny. And then they're just like, here, this has nothing to do with the pay-per-view. We're going to give you this card. It's just like, I'm not saying you guys have bad matches, man. But for the love of all that is good and decent in wrestling, could you please focus on your product instead of ratings? And it, it's really showing. It really is. And no matter what critics say about competing wrestling companies, this, that, the other, please, all I'm asking and the other fans are asking is, the next time you guys have a take time show before your pay-per-view, focus on the matches that make sense and aligned with the feuds. That's all that I didn't even have to watch this shit to hear pizza basically tell it like it is he's like it's not this wasn't bad this wasn't bad but the rest of the card fell flat that is piss poor work on your shit please that's it <laughs> yeah man i don't know it's just kind of it was just kind of weak and i just it's just like they don't capitalize on stuff like you got the Dark Order who's, like, involved in, like, main events, and you don't see them on either show. You know, we saw, we saw Abaddon used on Halloween, but we haven't seen her since. Like, we're, we're – it's just – it's just too many people – it's just too many people on the roster use people, but they're not using them right, and – it just it just feels like it just needs it just needs tightening up, you know. It just needs like stuff needs to make sense. Like no more cold matches. Like I don't know how oh. to say it. It's just like it's wasting TV time. That's really sad because they're proving the critics right, and that's what. Like, for example, when the crowd in Boston supposedly walked out and they taped Rampage or whatever, because then the crowd by then had lost interest or whatever, the Brian Danielson match, and, and I don't think so. I think that melts are probably over-exaggerated. But what what AEW has, they've got great talent. There's no doubt about it. Um, the underlying problem is the consistency, man. The consistency needs to be up with everything. Because if you don't, you got a man that you backed into a corner by challenging his freaking livelihood. And we, as, even though people disagree with me on this, if you back VKM into a corner, he will get up and he will start swinging as much as he can. With the limited resources that WWE has, AEW, pay attention. Please pay attention because if you don't. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stop. Like, they're not anything, bro. They're not any kind of contender. There's no, like, they're not Ted Turner. They're not the same. <laughs> like, like this, 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 speech, this speech doesn't, honestly, this speech is not the same. 
Like, he, this isn't Eric Bischoff. This is a mark with a pencil and a bunch of money. Okay. They're not in any way competition, my my boy. They're not. All right, let me let me shut up now, and we will we will fast. <laughs> like my boy, this is just this is just hot shot. You know what I'm saying? This is just hot shotting TV and catering to the smallest uh, demographic there is. They brought in Minoru Suzuki. How many people know who that is? If not you're a, a casual, if you're if you're a if you're a casual, pardon. Not a lot of people, to be honest. Right, right. So, like, you you don't know who he is. So, I don't know. bring bringing in bringing in these guys like that isn't going to isn't going to move the needle. What's going to move the needle is engaging television. Yep. And if and flips and flips and you know funny bullshit like that like funny little cute little bullshit and guys acting like dorks isn't going to keep fans and the numbers show well dude also the fact that they're going to arenas that are very small based i mean they went to uh, i don't know what they call it now it used to be called the silverstein iron uh now they call it the i don't know what the fuck they call it now they went to kansas city but they did not go to the t-mobile center no folks they went to a smaller venue also they've been going to the east coast it sells out don't get me wrong they sell out they they sell a lot of merchandise they do but when you can't have the the cojones to go to bigger arenas i'm talking about the ones that can seat 26,000 36,000 then you can come talk but no they keep going to small arena small arena small arena that can seat maybe 14 grand or not even that I, I just looked at some of the arenas that AEW has been going through, and the attendance, folks, is, is you know, okay, they sell out shows, but what they don't show you is they have chosen not to go through big arenas. Why? Because what are they going to do if they don't sell the tickets? That's just a big question mark for them. They're like, but we sell merchandise, but we have – the uh, demographic of 18 to 69 years old. That's all fun and games, my friends. But wrestling is wrestling. I don't care. I just want to watch and have good entertainment. That's all I'm asking. So I'm not going to go on tangent because my partner will just be like, shut the fuck up. Let's go. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? We got to yep. show. I can't, I cannot sit here and go on tangents. I can do it all night long. And my partner's going to probably hang up the phone. So I'm not going to. Okay. <laughs> let's, just, let's just start this routine with Once Upon a Time 1997 Survivor Series happened. And for those of you who don't know, that sparked the most swing, like the pendulum swung in someone's favor by accident. Okay. 1997, before the feud between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Bret Hart was in the company longer. He had wrestled longer than Sean. Okay? He started in Calgary, you know, Calgary with his own father's company, Stampede Wrestling, and a lot of big names came from there. Dynamite Kid, Owen Hart, British Bulldog, uh, Chris Jericho at one point. Um, there's a lot of luchadors that came through Calgary as well. But um, Bret and, and Sean, dude, were cut from two different cloths, man. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I don't know everything 
there is to know about Brett the Hitman Hart, but I do know that when Stu's promotion was struggling and they needed, you know, they needed to get some money, well, they, you know, they gave it up, and I'm not. Um, when so, he got to the so, okay. WWF. Okay, so what happened? What happened in, that, in those early days is uh, they were completely different. Sean was trained by a was trained by um, Jose Lothario, who was trained in lucha style, and his, um, Brett was the complete opposite. He was trained in the dungeon by his shooter father, who was ta- you know who was taught how to like work a hold fucking grab that arm and hook that motherfucker and 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 uh and fucking work and work him you know work that arm and Brett was uh, since Brett was in his father's company he was shot straight into a into a main main event position but he was challenging for the for the junior title i believe he wrestled uh I believe he had early matches with Dynamite Kid. I believe he wrestled with uh, Bad News Brown um, for a long time, who was also a tough, a, a tough fighter, and was a um, he was a um, um, a judo a judo champion. So Brett Brett got got lumped in there right away, but he was but a lot more was expected of him. And it was, and again, it was the complete opposite for Shawn Michaels, who was caught it, who was who came in and was brought in as a job guy who worked um, Bill Watts' UWF, and he was ta- and Shawn was taking his fucking ass whoopings from Jake Roberts and all those top guys down there, and so, so back to Bret Hart when Bret. When Brett, when uh, when Stampede was starting to fail, I believe, um, I believe, I believe what happened was Stu wanted to get um, the Bulldogs, and he wanted to get Davey. I'm sorry, he wanted to get Jim and Brett taken care of. So I believe they went to WWE in '84, '85, maybe. Yes. Sorry, I did a little, little, little back, back, back tags up there because I love, I love vintage WWF stuff. I mean, this is when wrestling was, as Kevin Nash put it, organic, and guys legit either hated each other or they got along, you know, behind the scenes or they didn't, and they just worked really well together. And the fact that I believe it was like. In the 80s, the Rockers was a thing, and the Heart Foundation, and Demolition, and Road Warriors were not even a part of WWE or F at the time. And you know, guys, you still had Andre the Giant, you still had Hogan, then you sprinkle in later on. You, you know, Brett survived like a lot of different eras. The only era that he was not a part of was the era that he was so famous for starting, folks. And thanks to him and Sean hating each other's guts. Uh, let's we'll just, get there. Let's 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 like you're jumping you're jumping the gun, bro. Let's get there. Let's get there. So let me let me take I'll take over from here. I'll take back over. Back you know when when they you were right. They had Hogan and they had they had Hogan and they had Andre and they had these big guys, but 
a lot of, you know, a lot of that mid-card was guys like Bret Hart, Coco Beware, the British Bulldogs, and these smaller guys who could go in there and get it done. So when the Hart Foundation and when the Hart Foundation and the Rockers got together and actually got matches in with each other, they were really, really good. And so I don't remember how they fell into it, but Shawn Michaels, when he separated from the from Marty Jannetty and got his first solo run, he got a world title match against Brett in 92 at Survivor's, Survivor Series 92. Um, it wasn't a main event, but... It was still very, very, very good. So Sean and Sean and um, Brett had a friendly, a friendly rivalry, if you will, a little bit before things kicked off yeah. in '96. Well, that's when things started to. I, um, um, uh, I did some, I did some digging, and things started to split up in '95 when the click got into place, and so. So then the uh, then the Iron Man man happened the Iron Man match happened, but before that Brett and Sean were actually close and Brett was always saying Brett and Sean were always I'm sorry Brett was saying that he was uh, pretty close with Kurt Henning and Sean and they always wrote they actually wrote together at times. This is true. They actually he, Brett actually spoke and said before things went south. Him, Mr. Perfect, and Sean would spend time on the road together, and things were hunky-dory back then. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe, I also agree that this sounds accurate. Um, this sounds accurate that the, the um, I could see Brett and Sean having a falling out after after um, the click take, you know, the click forming because Brett very, very old school and very traditional. And I'm almost positive that he had Vince's ear a lot up until that point. And then, and then Sean, who's the complete opposite that we've been hammering home since the beginning of this conversation, he had, he had Vince's ear as well. And at that time you could see it was starting to go a little bit, in a different direction where it wasn't that old school Bret Hart style of wrestling anymore. Also, dude, the company, you could, not just from this point, but like Stone Cold Steve Austin had mentioned that 95, 96, they were not drawing a lot of attendance. And so after, they were, they, they were not, I mean, well, in some instances in some arenas, but Austin had showed like, they showed a scene on his podcast or Broken Skulls or whatever that he said, well, I was wrestling and the audience wasn't big. And he was talking about – we'll talk about that later. Sorry, I'm getting off track. But at that time, they were trying to go a different direction because old school guy beating up, you know, the new hip thing that every fan is clamoring for at the time. Like, oh, I don't know, Shawn Michaels. And this is before – the alignment with Triple H. This was before that ship had set sail. So yeah, Brett and Sean had a fucking pull with Vince and okay, yeah, you know, this guy is a really good worker or this guy's a really good wrestler. I would like to um wrestle him. 
things were starting to go Sean's way because the audience started gravitating more towards Sean's stateside. But whenever they'd have shows in Canada, holy shit, Brett got yeah. so much reaction. It was just unreal. Yeah, you're you're definitely true, and there there should be no taking away of what Bret Hart did for the WWE because he carried the ball in a very 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 difficult time. He was he was carrying the ball after a major transition period where they were WWE was in and was completely shifting their entire philosophy. And in such, since they were doing that, they went through hard times, and they weren't drawing during these during these uh, dark during these dark ages. And he, and with the WWF's roster being depleted in 1992 and 1993, he's got to go in there, Bret Hart, as WWE champion, and he's got to get good matches out of guys who weren't WWF title contenders in the slightest but and as you said where what 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 uh, saved them was brett being able to go into canada and go into these international places like germany and india and all over all over there and go over there and be a fucking megastar like there's no doubt that brett had the talent had the skill because from very young age a man wrestled from when he was 16 so he'd been doing it for a while, okay, and he had trained under his father, trained with his brothers, and he outlasted a lot of guys. You know, 92, 93, as you mentioned, he had to wrestle against Yokozuna, I believe. Who... Yeah, he was going in there against Yoko. He was going in there against King Kong Bundy. He was going in there against a still relatively green diesel uh, and getting good matches out of him, you know. They say that even though, like I said, Brett put a lot into his work, into his craft, and it's, I mean, him and CM Punk are comparable, I believe, because both wrestled when they were sick, both had, you know, it out with the boss, both left the company for different companies, Um, you know, one, both speak their minds, but if I'm thinking on this correctly, you know, like Punk, when Brett was wrestling sick and he, you know, he had voiced his frustration um, on his way out and he's being interviewed a lot, but we're not going to, we're not going to get there just yet, folks. Sorry. Going to back this tractor trailer up. Brett definitely came in at a time, like you said, in 92 and 93, when the talent pool consisted of Doink the Clown, Luna Vachon, Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, he really didn't have very much. So he did the best he could. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, Bam Bam Bigelow is fucking amazing, though. And <laughs> if there was any of those big guys that I would say should get a fucking, um, should get a world title match, it should definitely be Bam Bam Bigelow. But that's off topic. Um, so, so, and then you got to look at, look at where Sean and look at where Sean and, um, and, uh, Brett were in 95. They, They were definitely on a collision course with each other. 
with Sean being that number one guy, but I mean, sorry, with Brett being the number one guy, but Sean was going in there and he had the, uh, they, they turned that, you know, they turned him getting, getting his ass beat by however many Marines into a huge angle and getting so much sympathy for him. So when Sean came back from that, he was, uh, he was the hugest baby face, so he was going in there getting the inter- like getting these intercontinental title matches against Jeff Jarrett that was really good. He went against he had that he had that rematch against he had that rematch against Razor Ramon for the uh for the intercontinental title that was phenomenal. So by the t- so and like Brett I think Brett Brett was starting to stumble a little bit because he had that little thing with Hakushi that really did nothing for him. So by the time like Sean and Brett met each other at WrestleMania that year, it had to it had to be it had to be Sean. It had to, it just had to be Sean. That's just the direction that it was going, and it had to. It, that's what it was. Also, dude, a lot of people like to cheer for the underdog for some weird reason. Some people don't. In today's wrestling world, they'd rather go with the guy that went by the book, worked his ass off, what have you. I'm the fan that basically saw Shawn Michaels as the guy that wasn't supposed to win the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. He wasn't supposed to win the Royal Rumbles in 95 and 96. But, you know, circumstances put it together. They, these two, yes, they were on a collision course with each other, whether they knew it or not. And as uh, Jim Cornette put it on uh, Dark Side of the Ring, it's like you have two country singers. They never sung together before, but when they start singing together, it just becomes magic. And yeah. Whether Sean, yeah, when Sean and Brett had worked each other, had, uh, wrestled each other prior to Survivor Series Montreal in 1997 – there's a lot of stuff going on, like Brett. I I feel like oh, Brett we're, was, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there. We'll we'll. I want to build to Montreal, so because there's a lot, there's a lot that was that that happened here, and uh, so really where this where this feud where this feud split up and it got bad is when Sean. He 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 said what he said when he said I'm retiring and he had to drop the title and he lost his smile and Brett was fucking pissed off because he thought that he thought that the whole thing was a bunch of bullshit and he thought he thought that Sean was faking the bullshit and just didn't want to lose the belt to him and he was also offended that um, he posed in Playgirl and just thought that was just you know, being the champion, that was just a shitty thing to do because he's viewed as a role model. But that's all a matter of personal opinion, I think. And um, that is really just believing that, I don't know, man, maybe like that's just thinking that like the the, the WWF title or whatever, uh, a wrestling championship is means more than it really is because it really is, it's, not this it's fictitious it's what it's a it's a prop man and i i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that's really where their feud started and then um 
what cast what really set this thing into overdrive is the uh, Sunny Days comment when Shawn Michaels insinuated that Bret Hart was sleeping with Sunny at the time, and which is hilarious because everybody knows that Shawn Michaels was sleeping with Sunny. So to just say that about Bret is really just really just kind of dirty, and if my memory serves me correctly, that got Brett some, some heat with his actual wife, and this led to Brett and Sean getting into a fist fight backstage, and this also led to Brett ripping out a chunk of Sean's hair, and and and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Sean threatening to quit the company. <laughs> This is an unsafe working environment. God, I'll fight. I, I remember sitting there as a kid going, wait, sunny days? Are you referring to sunny? That, <laughs> there's a lot of pictures, dude, and I, I actually am going to try and find it, of Sonny and Shawn Michaels and PWI. For those who remember, wrestling fans remember Pro Bro. Wrestling Illustrated? Okay, let me, let me, I'll give you a little clarity there. Um, Sonny and Sean, Sonny and Shawn Michaels have a long, long storied, storied, storied career. When, when Shawn Michaels got his ass beat up by all those Marines, the, he called, he called Chris Candino and Sonny to come get him. And so, so they came and got him, you know, and got him out of that situation when he's, completely just lumped the fuck up and just busted and busted and bruised. And so Sean wanted to repay. Sean wanted to repay them for their generosity, but he kind of left Chris Candino out and basically just started fucking his girl. It is very well known, very well known that Sonny and Sean were were together. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of just messed up. That's not kind of messed up. That is messed up. Also sad. Cause, um, we'll move past that point then. Um, let's just, okay. So, yes, the Sunny Days promo basically essentially ignited a fuse because Brett, like I said, I'm going to keep referencing Dark Side of the Ring. Brett essentially said, as may Sonny, you know, Shawn Michaels may have had Sonny Days. So there's still, there's still a touch of animosity between the two. And it's like you're saying this in public, it's all fun and games for us. But when they, when the other guy gets home, like Brett, the wife at the time said, probably, you got some splaining to do. Because are you really sleeping with this bitch? Are you really sleeping with her? Are you really, you know, I want to know now. You better tell me now. I mean, they're divorced anyways, his first wife that is, but that's side the point. There's a lot of build before this event that made wrestling history is what it is today. Sean and Brett, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, are cut from two different cloths. One's the hardworking, I'm going to make you earn your earn your keep in this business. Brett even stated, dude, at one point he said, I really didn't want to drop the belt to Sean because I felt he was not worthy. He was not ready to do it. 
If he's going to take it off me, that's, he has to earn. He has to earn it. That's not your place, bro. That isn't your place to decide that. I know. Do your job. That's it. Do your job. You're taking. He's he's taking himself far, 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 far too seriously. You just don't like him. That's all. No, I mean, <laughs> get over I yourself, think, man. <laughs> I'm not, dude. I'm just stating what I said. I didn't say I didn't like the guy. Oh, I'm not saying that to you, man. I'm saying that to Brett, the Hitman Hart. Oh, <laughs> it's my it's, bad. it's pathetic. It's pathetic, to be honest with you. It's pathetic. And so we finally we finally get to the Montreal screw job, which is celebrating the twenty four the twenty fourth anniversary of the Montreal screw job, and we're gonna talk about it a little bit. And um so getting there, so Brett was with Brett was having conversations with WCW. And don't we're not gonna go into who said what and who was talking to who because bro, he he went. So so story is he Brett was offered a bunch of money and his contract was up with Vince and Vince could not match the the offer and so he told him to go. And so the problem was he still had the belt, Brett did, and he had to get that belt off of him. So and that comes to the problem. Yeah, because you can't it's the tradition, man. You have to lose the title before you go to another company. And what's worse is he really, at this point, didn't want. He didn't want to just let it go. It was like freaking cut clinging to it. It's like no, it's mine. I'm not letting it go. So, you know, we all know. We've seen, heard, we've read, we've researched, and we've rehashed it. We've talked about it outside of arenas. The events that led up to the screw job. It was decided that Brett was to lose the title by hook or by crook. So, yeah, and I really, I really, my personal opinion is he kind of forced the old man's hand and he really put him in a position where he had nothing to do or he had no choice what to do. And he, and even though the Alundra Blaze thing, uh, even though the Alundra Blaze thing, the title was minuscule, it was just the women's title and it never took place. He ha- uh, the Vince had no assurance given the given the standing that he had with Brett at that time. He had no assurance that he was just going to come and drop the title on the next night on Monday Night Raw. He had no contractual he had no contractual obligation to do so. So he he being the old man, he had to do what he had to do. He Brett could have dropped the title to. He could have dropped dropped the title in Detroit. That's a house show before. He didn't want to do it, so it was it was the twenty fifth hour. I really honestly feel that you know if you're holding out on a company and you're talking to the enemy already because you know you're on your way out, it's a low blow to the old man. As much as as much as we as critics or podcasts has loved to wash, you know, him into the washer and just hit, okay, let's hit the cycle again. 
you do have a point. He had to force his hand because if he did not, then imagine imagine this, folks, if you will. If Brett doesn't lose the title, history does not happen. The WWF at the time, who knows, Stone Cold Steve Austin's career would not have kick-started. And on top of that, you wouldn't have had to have Vince go to desperate measures and call Mike Tyson in at WrestleMania 14 because he comes in as a special enforcer to the biggest event of the year in Boston. Minus all of that, and Brett's still in the company. Wrestling history never happens, in my opinion. The Attitude Era, nope, because Mr. I'm Stubborn doesn't want to relinquish the title, wants to cry about it like a crybaby and say, okay, no, I'm not relinquishing the title because Sean's not ready. What a, you know, dude, I'm so glad that, I'm, I'm not glad that the screw job happened, but I'm, I'm glad that the moment of history, that's the point in wrestling history, folks, when Vince had to change things up because Eric Bischoff was kicking his ass in ratings. So let's give it some attitude. Let's, you know, come on national TV and say car- the whole portrayal of cartoon characters is no longer that's, – that's very passe, saying your prayers and vitamins, whatever Vince said. If Brett doesn't get screwed, we as fans are devoid of selling out arenas and having moments that, you know, neither here nor there with The Rock, Stone Cold, Triple H – uh, the the McMahon Austin feud because uh, Vince finally came out of his shell after the fact he became the villain he became the villain because people are like oh my god I can't believe you screwed Brett like if it doesn't you know I really I really I really wouldn't just say that like that was the whole thing that was like the moment the moment is when like what really took off for Vince is when he started working with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes, like the, yes, he capitalized on the heat that he got from the he got he capitalized on that heat from the screw job, but it really, really wasn't until he started doing the whole thing with Austin and trying to screw Austin over because that Austin was basically the second coming of Hulk Hogan. But let's not go to Austin. We still we're not we're not there. We still gotta we gotta we gotta rein it back with Brett and Sean. Um so bro, after like uh after like it really kinda sucks after he left after he left um WWF, uh Bret Hart did WCW was not able to capitalize. WCW did a really, really, really piss poor job. And I'm an avid listener of of 83 weeks, and Brett Brett shot down everything that they pitched to him. You know, everything that Eric wanted to do, he didn't want to do. Brett didn't, and so it gets to a point. It's like, well, what the fuck do you want to do? <laughs> you know. It seems like he's a prima donna. Like he, like Brett, basically knows that what he, you know, makes wrestling succeed in his eyes. So when Eric would probably pitch something to him, I'm not saying I was there, but I'm just assuming that if Brett heard something that Eric had pitched, he'd probably be like, Nah, nah, man, let's not do that. That's not going to work. 
NWO, the Goldberg match he bitched about for years. Let's see what else. Him being a special referee, then him, you know, he just really, it, t- it was like a tale of two tapes. Here goes Brett out the door. Here comes Shawn Michaels on the wake of putting, you know, certain somebody over. But before he put somebody over, it's just like the role that Shawn was on compared to Brett arriving in WCW. It's like, wow, holy crap. The co- the compare and contrast moments. Well, 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 you know, things weren't going so great for Brett in WCW, and then his brother died. That, <laughs> folks, that, I, I guess that, that, yeah, that, that was it. That's a big thing. <sighs> Because imagine if, if um, God rest his soul, if Owen was still around, in a respect to the Sena, this is, I, <clears throat> I was there May 23rd, 1999, over the edge when I saw Owen die. I can tell you that shocked everyone. I think it, it took the win out of a lot of people's sales. It definitely killed the momentum when Brett left. I think Owen was going to follow. I had a feeling he was going to follow after the match with, uh, he was supposed to have with Godfather. Um, but, yeah, a lot of bad things happened um, after Brett's uh, Brett walked out the door. You know, he punched Vince out because he had it coming. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, that's you know, I think that was just pretty low. That's the he. That's temper tantrum bullshit. You know, you kind of you you force the old man to do what he had to do. And then you punched him in the face because you didn't get your way and you were mad. I, I can't, I, I just can't, I can't vouch for Brett or I can't be on Brett to hit man's hard side and any perceivable, any shaking, shake of the, any way. I can't, I can't be on his side on this. He came off like a fucking tool. He also told the folks in Dark Feathering, I don't know, because Shawn Michaels, they had asked the, the cast of Dark Side, uh, Evan and Jason, did Shawn Michaels want to interview um, if he knew Brett was there? And he said, well, Shawn had wrote us an email saying that he had declined the interview because if he has to be asked about it like a bunch of times, like I'm pretty sure – when you get asked about one thing or another, like oh, um, like Mick Foley, for example, you know how many times he gets asked about Hell in a Cell? Probably gets irritated when he gets asked about it an excess amount of times. Shawn Michaels probably didn't have the time nor the energy to go over the fact that, yes, this is Brett's side. Got, he would probably have to say the phrase, you got to understand, because – Everyone will patronize Sean, and then there are people that will patronize Brett. They both have their personalities, I believe, in my opinion, that clashed. And Montreal was just the end-all, be-all for them. They, for years, would decline to sit in the same room together up until I don't know when it was when JR interviewed the two of them, which was shocking because – you think that they would punch each other out, but I digress. They they buried their hatchet January fourth, two thousand and ten. And what's That's funny amazing. what's funny about that is that was the day that TNA t- 
try to go to Monday nights, and they TNA had Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Jeff Hardy, Homicide, just a stacked card, and then they capped it with a they capped it with a fantastic main event of uh, AJ Styles and Kurt Angle for the TNA Championship with a five minute over overrun. Great, great, great match. And WWE counters with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart burying the hatchet after all those years. Wow. You know, I, I, dude, I completely negated the year because I was like, is it 2009 or 2010 when JR actually sat down with the two of them, which it needed to be done because if you hold it, that was 20 23 years after their incident. Yeah, 23 years. So imagine sitting at home. Oh, we forgot to mention one particular dude that was caught in the middle. Earl Hebner. Oh, wow. Poor, 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 poor Earl who had to lie to this man, who had to lie to this man and Yes, yes, it was a shitty situation. Yes, it sucked. I guess Earl is just thinking about his family, and Earl is thinking about his money, and it's it's just too bad. It's too, 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 too bad because Brett has so much trust in it. It, uh, it sucks. It does suck, and it it it, it, it had to be done. But yeah. Also, dude, when Mike Kyoto was talking about the spots that were supposed to happen, the yeah, match supposed to end in like a, a DQ, and then there'd be a pull apart. Like I'm wondering, you know, like what's going through his head too, because he had stated, you know, that I can't believe they fucking did that to Brett the Hitman Hart. It's like, are we serious right now? Love Mike, but like. There are a few things he probably felt because it's not right to screw someone over. But at the same time, if someone doesn't want to hand something over because it's pride thing, like I've always been impartial to the heartbreak kid, but I liked Brett as a kid. But when Mike Kyoto was describing prior to the incident in Montreal, like, okay, you know, have British Bulldog and Owen run out and I'm going to come out and I'm going to separate them all, blah, blah, blah. And then, I was like, wow, so imagine that also if that happened. People always debate me on this, but I'll say it again, and I stand by what I say. If the screw job doesn't happen, then wrestling history goes back, and who knows what happens. If, at the time, if the pendulum doesn't swing in the favor of Vince and the WWF at the time, and they have that pull apart, and Owen does not become the Blue Blazer, I wonder a lot of things come pop into my mind. And Mike Kyoto says, there's supposed to be a pull apart, but they stopped me and said, don't run out there. Earl's got this handled. Really? You're going to let the guy who lied to the dude, who lied to Bret Hart on the plane, said, I'm going to screw you. I swear on my, he swore, what's worse is, folks, he swore on his family that he wasn't going to screw this man over. Doesn't matter. He did it anyways, jumped over the railing, bye, there you go, there's Earl Hebner. Also, this dude is known for embezzling. 
and still managing to be interviewed by Dark Sterling because the man got probably bailed out of jail. But that's besides the point. The middleman in this whole equation is the guy that essentially helped create wrestling infamy. Okay. I said it. I said it. Sorry. Okay, let's just just go back to the subject at hand. You have two wrestlers, one of which come from a wrestling family, another wrestler who had always wanted to be a wrestler since he was 16. You have people arguing to this day who caused it, who did this, who had a hand in it. We all know who had a hand in it. I'm just like you said, we're not going to name names. We're not going to you know go back and forth. So. This is just my personal opinion on the whole thing. The screw job gets discussed because some feel that one wrestler was done wrong and it completely changed the face of wrestling because one wrestler was a prick, the other one was a egomaniac. And does it get over discussed, partner? I don't know. That's up to you all. Does the does the Montreal screw job get talked about way too much? Nah, I would say uh not as much anymore. I think like once uh I feel like once Brett and Sean put it to put it to rest, I think it kind of uh I kind of I think it kind of went to went to bed with it. I think personally though like it kind of stayed alive because there's so many shoot DVDs out there with like so-and-so's take on it. So you'll take, you know, honky tonk man's take on Montreal screw job or, you know, uh, new Jack's take on Montreal screw job. So that's, you know, that it's, it's been around, but it's pretty much put to bed. We're just talking about it because it's, it's been 24 years. Just imagine, dude, like, like I, I have seen what Tive has done to both guys. You know, one's in NXT, the other one, you know, he very much actively, I think, yes, Brett did appear on an episode of AEW Dynamite just as an audience member. But I have, like I said, I hold respect for both, uh, for what they've done uh, for pro wrestling as a whole. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that Brett significantly, you know, is known as the guy that at when he was wrestling, he came in hot. You know, he came in heavy duty. Like you said, he was a mid-carder, but Coke Beware, Ultimate Warrior, the Road Warriors, what have you. Brett worked with a lot of good names. It's just when Sean came around, it was at 93 when he was managed by uh, Luna Vachon because he had it out with Sensational Sherry. So their paths yeah. were their paths were a lot different. They wrestled literally the same dudes, except for one thing. Sean wrestled Hogan because the company wanted to see it. The fans supposedly wanted, I didn't want to see that shit. Brett wrestled Hogan, maybe on, I don't, like I said, he, both in WCW. Brett didn't get a, yeah, Brett, I don't think Brett got a singles match against Hulk Hogan, bro. No, no, I'm sorry. Let me, let me rephrase that. Brett worked. Let me read my notes. 
Bruce, uh, he worked alongside Hogan when they, I guess, joined forces when the NWO started getting weights and cooks in the kitchen. Yes. And, yes. And so, That's accurate. So, yes. Yes. So, like, I feel like both have worked around the same guys. Both were in the company at times in which, you know, okay, let's see. Brett was around when the steroid trials were going around, Dr. Zaharian. So Sean didn't testify. Let's see. Okay. Both were around the times in which you had guys like Lex Luger, Yoko Zuna, uh, Barry Horowitz, uh, Doink the Clown, Duke the Dog, you know. They oh, God. Time. Yeah, they had uh, garbage guys running around and clowns and midgets. It was like one big circus. Did Brett falter? No. He was, to his detriment, dude, yes, he was very loyal to the company. So was Sean. Sean was a bit of a wild child. Not a bit. He was the wild child. Did things that (laughs) made you go, wow, okay. As a kid, dude, honestly didn't know about uh, the whole Sonny, Chris Candido, Sean thing. And I'm, I knew about the Marines thing when he got beat up because he got, because Doc Hendricks was seen on TV saying, Shawn Michaels got beat up by a bunch of thugs in Syracuse, New York. Thugs? Yeah, no. But point I'm trying to get at is, yes, they, they have left their mark in wrestling history. Brett was World Wrestling Federation champion, tag team champion, European champion. Shawn Michaels was the first Grand Slam champion. So they were champions. They lead down different paths after the screw job? Sure. Um, would Shawn have lasted in WCW? No. With his personality at the time, I don't fucking think so. Um and, Yeah, and- it wouldn't have worked there because there was already way too many personalities and I don't think that personally I don't think that um uh Eric would have wanted to bring that on board in the first place. Well, when you're feeding Hogan's ego and as Diamond Dallas Page stated, you know, in Chris Canyon's uh, dark side, he said, and then this thing called the NWO happened and it took over the entire company. He wasn't lying. Imagine, okay, so D-Generation X was Shawn Michaels' path. Bret Hart took a little bit to get there, but he eventually ended up going, aligning with, was it Rick Rude and uh, a Million Dollar Man and Great Muda and all of them. A list of guys that he aligned himself with, but it just, I don't know. Brett and Sean's path in wrestling from 97 on, if you look at it, it favors God, man. I, I As a Shawn Michaels fan, uh, sorry, folks, I just uh, aired out my bias, but if I'm being honest, if you look at the history timeline, 98 to about whenever, well, it, it, it favors Shawn Michaels because Bret Hart did appear here and there, like Mad TV. I don't know if he got to go to SNL, but his name's not going to be forgotten because who's not going to know who Bret Hart is unless you really don't like wrestling? But at the same time, well, Shawn Michaels... Well, if you really want to compare 
Shawn Michaels' 97, 98, 99 wasn't that great because he began to have concussion and drug issues, and he was pretty much done, and he had the back thing, that had, and he was out of there. He was out of WWE very, very shortly after Bret Hart left the company. And so when Bret went to WCW, his run was subpar at best, and he got he got the freak accident with um, Goldberg that ended his career. So their both of their careers relatively ended around the same fucking time. So it's hard to say who had a better run after they left each other. Well, that's very true. You do bring up some very valid points. Um, and he did. Sean did get concussed, and he. Had back injury and had drug addiction. Then he was a born again Christian, folks. There's nothing wrong with finding religion after the fact that you've messed up big time. Uh, the fact that he came back in what 2002 or 2004? Yeah, 2002. 2002, and he's in the first ever Illumination Chamber match, and it's just amazing that he comes back and he wins the first ever Illumination Chamber match because Shawn Michaels is known to be in the first ever. He didn't win the ladder match with uh, Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10, but he made it to where it's like, wow, that match was really amazing. Just, you know, it's the simple fact that Brett also was on the card and he had a match with with Owen. Yeah, he had a match with Owen. And he Brett put his brother over. So was it as monumental? No, but in, in retrospect, Brett helped his brother get some notoriety and Sean helped, you know, get his own career. His career was already off and running. But what I'm getting at is these two, it's very hard to pinpoint who is going to have, like, the last remaining. This guy, you know, okay, yeah, Shawn Michaels is better or Bret Hart was better. They're both, in my opinion, two of the best wrestlers just in different ways. It's easy for me to say Sean because not as, you know, he's going to get the last word or last whatever or last hurrah, but I like Sean because I know a lot of people are going to hate me for saying this. Well, yeah, you got Look, Shawn Michaels wasn't supposed to win a lot of matches. He really wasn't. But in the sense of being the underdog in the sense of pulling through at the most clutch times, the guy that really irked people, the guy that people call the prick, the guy that people call the backstabber in the locker room, don't care about that stuff. I care about what he did, how he entertained, and how he presented himself as an entertainer. Not as a guy behind the scenes, but as a guy in the ring that wasn't supposed to amount to being the top performer, not supposed to be the main event. And look at him now. He's, you know, he's a guy that's still involved with the company. And I, like I said, I hold the most up, most respect towards Brett and what he did for WWE. I applaud the fact that, you know, he's still involved in wrestling, in professional wrestling in some capacity. I'm just not as good. Huh? I don't think he is, bro. 
Woo. I think Brett is retired from. I think I think Brett is retired from wrestling, and I think he makes occasional appearances at at cons and things like that. But I think outside of uh, the, the um, being there to present the winner with the new AEW title, um, I think he hasn't really done much of anything in professional wrestling. Whereas Sean is very much involved in wrestling and very you know very much involved in the uh nxt brand like you were like you just said i think like i said it's very the i apologize folks of a misleading information i just i i hold the utmost respect for both guys because the both they not it's not just about oh they bled for the business oh you know these guys cut their teeth they literally did in different ways Brett used to be a skinny guy, you know, in Calgary, wrestling for his father. Sean was 16, 17, didn't graduate high school, okay? And he had a, he had a lot of issues because in his own mind, like I said, I don't know these guys personally. I don't. I've watched them since I was a kid. I'm only 34 years old. But um, when it comes to being able to paint a picture, it wasn't up until, dude, in my opinion with Brett, that he really wasn't challenged by that many guys because the limited amount of talent that the WWF back then had to present for him. Now, okay. I agree. Yeah, because Diesel, Yoko – uh, Razor Ramon, uh, Psycho Sid, who really needs Dear Lord, that was funny. Can I, can we have a redo? No, you're live. He had to make guys look great that weren't Brett. I'm saying had to make guys look great that weren't really championship material. Okay, the Mountie. My God, the Mountie, Adam Bomb. The Mountie can go though. The Mountie, fuck that. <laughs> Fuck that. Jacques Rougeau is the shit. And he's also the guy that won't hold back on Dark Side of the Ring. If you guys haven't watched, he doesn't hesitate to talk about Dynamite Kid, but I digress. Um, at the, like I said, though, for what Brett had to work with, what Sean had to work with, Sean was fortunate that his ass didn't get fired. From the company, from what I saw in the A&E biography, holy crap. You want to talk about a tale of two tapes? Sean would literally, according to this documentary on A&E, Vince would give him uh, something to say. He's like, I'm not saying this shit on live air. And literally throw the papers into the air. And ultimately, you know, that comes off as I'm too good, so let me say my own stuff. I'll I'll read what you say, but I don't like it, so I'm just going to toss it aside and not say shit. Didn't matter because we didn't know that as fans. When Sean came out and talked, when he was interviewed by either Jerry Lawler or Jim Ross at the time or whomever was interviewing him, he just had that switch where he could turn it on and it would just become gold. It was basic. It was... It was not bland, but it just had that charisma, that natural-born charisma that you can't really teach in professional wrestling. It has to be 
an automatic add-on when you're at that when you're at the level of um, oh I don't know I wouldn't compare him to Ric Flair but Sean can talk so can Triple H so can Stone Cold a lot of guys but Sean Michaels every time he spoke he would build the guy up and then he wouldn't tear them down he would say this is what I'm going to do go in the ring be the ultimate baby face get his butt kicked from pillar to post and then if he hits sweet chin music, the crowd absolutely loses their mind. Okay? With Brett, it was, I'm going to beat you down. I'm going to give you a nice, tough fight, and I'm going to put you in the sharpshooter, and you're going to tap. Sometimes there was some dribble-drabble, and he had to have Cornette enhance him. Or at the time, Bobby the Brain Heenan was, was running around managing against Bret Hart. Or there always had to be some enhancement with Brett, and it was kind of like his in-ring stuff was great, but his promos were just I had to, I in my opinion it didn't start getting good until the feud with Sean. It this is just my personal opinion because his other promos with Diesel, his other promos with Razor, oh, and Bob Backlund is one of the best. Dear Lord. Oh my god, I completely forgot about that. But his matches with other people, like Sid Vicious and various other talents, it's hard. It's hard for me as a fan, from a prof- like from a fan standpoint to be like, Yes, I definitely want to see Brett. Not for me. Not for me. I don't think a, I don't think you at nine years old was really caring about promos, man. No, dude. But if I wanted to hear someone like say, you know, like w- want to get me engrossed or intrigued at nine years old or ten years old, I didn't know about promos. I'm gonna be dead honest with you. I didn't know shit about the wrestling world. To be completely honest, I just like guys that, you know, they didn't have a fighting prayer. Now, I'm not talking about Barry Horowitz. <laughs> I'm talking about guys like Shawn Michaels in a world full of Vaders, Sid Vicious, Undertakers, <laughs> Yokozunas, Diesels, Razors. Let's see who else I can think of that was big. Oh, yes. Jake the Snake Roberts was still there, but he wasn't, you know, a th- and those times he was just being used at In Your House and whatever. But... If I wanted to be a, if I was a fan back then, dude, to be honest with you, I wanted to see guys like Sean because just have that I want to get behind you feel. With Brett, it was like, yay, Brett, cool, you're a champion again, woohoo. It just got, it just got old. It just got old. He wasn't champion that much, but it just it was the same Bret Hart that he was from '88 up until before their feud. So it took a lot of dudes to enhance him and make him interesting. It's not saying that Bret's boring, but it took a lot of okay fights with Diesel or fights with uh, Razor, or somebody had to attack him from behind, or Jim Cornette had to whack him in the face during a match with a with a oh, tennis yeah. racket. I'm just saying. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't think you were you're if you're just like me at nine, you were like I want to see whatever good guys. So I don't think anybody was splitting hairs over that at nine or ten. No, it would just be my like. Okay, who would you rather see? I know you're probably like I said. We discussed this earlier. You more of a are you more of a Brett dude? I am. A, I was a Shawn Michaels fan when okay, when cool. I was younger. When I was younger, I didn't care about who was really on, who was on. You know, who, I didn't care that much about who was the like like main guy. I just liked every good guy. But once I got a little bit older, I liked Shawn, and you know, I liked Shawn. And I didn't like Brett as much when I had, like, more of an understanding and, you know, who I liked more. I just like the underdogs, folks. This is me. They're like, why? Because if they're not supposed to win a match, then they end up, you know, surprising the hell out of everyone. Cool. That's what draws me to, to wrestlers now. Back then it was probably, I couldn't tell you. Good old Brian Rails is probably more all over the place and more ADHD sound and uh, add a little more rambling and you get me. Wait, that's still me. What the hell? Um, let me get to a point. Yep, I think we should wrap this up. Okay, so to, in closing, yes, the screw job is monumental in wrestling history. Um, yes, it's debated upon every great now and then. Um, moving forward, has there been any other screw jobs attempted? Probably not as big a deal as the Montreal screw job, but um, I was going to end it with both guys um, at the time during that match made their. Uh, Mark in history, they had their grudges, they made amends. That is all, folks, because I'm not going to spend the entire night rambling like I just have the last 22 minutes. My poor partner. <laughs> my poor partner in crime. That's it. That's all I have. All right, man. All right, folks, if you didn't like what good old Brian Reynolds had to say, or Pete for that matter, we ask that you please uh, send your comments, questions, concerns. To wrestle underscore radio, wrestle radio network for slash facebook.com. And also, if you have any questions regarding myself or Pizza Simpson, please feel free to message him personally on Instagram, on his Instagram handle as well. And at underscore Brian Rails on Twitter. That'll do it, folks. Toodles, gotta go to bed. Good night. Happy wrestling dreams. Wish you would please go Raiders to get the
Focus, focus, focus. 